Amen. All right, as they receive the offering, you all bunch pull out your Bibles. Uh, we are going to be in the book of Psalms this morning, uh, Psalm 141, Psalm 141. If you don't have a Bible, you didn't bring your Bible, you forgot it at home, or maybe you don't own a Bible, there's actually a Bible underneath the seat you're sitting in. There's a white Bible down there. Um, pull that out. Uh, Psalms is right in the middle, so if you flip that open to the middle, you'll hit Psalms, um, and, and we're going to be in Psalm 141. You're going to need that, so make sure you pull, pull that out. Psalm 141 um, is where we're going to be. If you don't own a Bible... You don't have one? Steal that one. All right? Just take it. You can tell all your friends you stole a Bible from church, and they're going to give you a really funny look. It'll be awesome. All right? Um, So we're going to dive right in. What we've been doing all summer long is we've been walking through different psalms, kind of bouncing around, uh, unpacking this series, The Anatomy of the Soul. And it comes from a quote by a guy named John Calvin. John Calvin was a 16th century theologian, reformer, um, and Calvin said, The psalms are an anatomy of all parts of the soul. The Psalms are an anatomy of all parts of the soul. What he meant by that is every human emotion, every, every longing, every, every ounce of sorrow and pain, every ounce of joy and delight, every, every good thing, every bad thing, it's all found, it's all unpacked in the Psalms. These, these songs that were sung in the Jewish temple, these prayers that were prayed to God, it's all, it all comes to life. It awakens our soul when we read through the Psalms. And this morning, we're going to look at what happens when our soul um, is, is attacked. What happens when we are mistreated by others? What is the natural response? What is our human response when someone wrongs us, when someone does something to us that's not fair? The natural response, the natural longing of our soul in that moment when someone treats us unfairly is to get them back. Vengeance. Not, not just a little bit, like 10 times more, right? Some of you were just sharing some stories about why you pulled the prank you pulled whenever you pulled that prank that you pulled, all right? Chances are it's because somebody did something to you. Right? That's how it works. Like that, that's how this thing works. When somebody does something to us or pulls a prank, there's nothing better than a good prank war, right? Somebody does something to me, somebody does something to us, uh, and we think, man, how am I going to get them back? How am I going to trick them into something? How am I going to create more anxiety, more pain, more laughter for me in their life, right? How am I going to do that? My dad tells a story about um, and in his office where he used to work, um, so at one point in time, somebody started stealing people's lunches, like straight up going to the fridge and taking their lunch out of the fridge and eating their lunch. And they're like, man, who is stealing our lunch? Like, who is doing this? And so the, some guy got the idea of making a delicious, beautiful sandwich and just lacing that thing with some ghost pepper chili sauce and just like loading that thing up um, and just place it right there in the fridge and wait and see what happens. And oh, they found out who it was, right? Pretty, pretty quickly. It's, it's amazing. I love some of the creativity that comes uh, with revenge. It's amazing. I love it. However, the reality is, is that for those of us in the room who have truly tasted real revenge, right? N- not, not, not the fun type of revenge, not the prank type of revenge, but real revenge. For those of us in the room who have, um, maybe, maybe we stepped out of line, maybe we misspoke, maybe we hurt somebody, and they came back at us tenfold. It's, it's not a laughing matter, is it? Some of the most painful moments in our lives are a result of someone getting us back for something that we did. It's not fun. It's not fair. 
Some of us in this room are carrying around scars from things that happened years ago. Or maybe we misstepped, maybe we got out of line, or maybe we didn't. Maybe it was totally undeserved. But they thought we did something, and they unloaded on us. We've lost friendships, we've lost loved ones, broken relationships, simply because of revenge. And this morning, in this psalm, we're going to be looking at this idea of revenge and vengeance and, and how the, the natural response of our soul, um, of the brokenness of our soul, is to seek vengeance, but God calls us to something else, to something different. In Psalm 141, uh, theologians and historians pinpoint kind of the history of the psalm. It's written by a guy named David. David uh, reigned for a long time as the king of Israel. Um, But before he became king, for those of you who kind of know your history, David um, was anointed as king as a young man. As As a young boy, David was anointed as king. That means that God showed up through a prophet, um, and, and God said, this one, this is the one that I'm going to raise up to be king. Now, at that time, there was a guy named Saul. Saul was king over all of Israel. He was the biggest, strongest, toughest guy around. Um, and Saul also had been anointed by God as king. However, Saul had chosen to ignore God. Uh, long story short, Saul had chosen to do some things that uh, kings aren't supposed to do, uh, that are reserved for only for priests to do. But in doing so, he said, Dude, I don't need to listen to God. I'm the king. I, I don't, I, who cares what God says to do or not do? I'm the king. And from, from that moment, God says, I'm going to diminish your kingdom, and I'm going to raise up a new king. The new king is David. And from that moment, Saul's kind of, kind of influence and authority and respect begins to diminish, and David begins to rise. People begin to sing songs about how much better David is than the king, King Saul. And so Saul begins, begins to get jealous, and Saul decides that he is going to um, just take care of this. As any good king does, he says, oh, let's take care of this. I'm going to go kill David. That'll solve this problem for me. And so Saul um, takes 3,000 of his best men, and he goes to hunt down David. David uh, also has some of his boys with him, but not nearly that many. Um, And so he goes and he hides up in the mountains in a cave. And Saul um, is pursuing David. He's up in the mountains. He's trying to find where David is hiding. Um, And Saul has to go to the bathroom. It happens, right? It happens to all of us when you're out there trying to take somebody's life and you just got to go, right? We've all been there. Um, you got to go, right? And so Saul is up in the mountains and he's, he's got to go and he sees a cave. And so Saul goes into the cave to do his business. And it turns out David and all of his men are hiding out in the same cave. And so Saul... You know, he's, he's the king. He's, he's all armored up in his kingly armor. He begins to take all this stuff off, and David and his men are hiding in the back of this cave, and they can see it's him. And David's men say, this is it. This is the moment. God has delivered him into your hands. Let's kill him. Let's kill him right now. Like, why, what are we waiting for? Like, literally, he's caught with his pants down. Let's, let's, let's get this guy. Like a three-year-old could kill him. David, go kill him. Go get him. So David draws his sword and begins to creep his way through the darkness of the cave towards Saul. In this psalm, Psalm 141, is birthed out of this moment in David's life. 
And it reads this way. I was, we're just going to unpack it together. We'll kind of take it chunk by chunk. It reads this way. In Psalm 141, verse 1, says this. He says, O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Come to me. Give ear to my voice. Hear me when I call you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So verse 2 tells us that David is not in Jerusalem, right? Um, he's in a cave. He's not in Jerusalem. He cannot uh, go into the temple and light incense before God. And so he says, let my prayer be like the incense of the temple. He can't go to the evening sacrifice as, as the... Um, as the burnt offering would be given to God, he can't go there. And so he says, um, let the lifting of my hands be like the burnt offering to you. And then he goes on, he says in verse 3, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds. In company with men who work iniquities, and let me not eat of their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me, it is, it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, it is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. We'll stop there for a moment. Here's what's happening. It's a little foggy. It's a little confusing. But here's what's going on, right? David has done nothing wrong. David has not pursued power. He has not pursued fame. He has not pursued um, influence in Israel. God has done that. God has raised him up. God has given that. Um, and he has diminished Saul. David has not uh, tried to take Saul's life, but Saul is taking his life. And so in this moment, in the darkness of the cave, all of his homeboys are there saying, let's do this thing. Let's go for it. And David is feeling this tension within his soul. In one part, his soul cries out for vengeance, cries out for revenge. Let's get him. Let's get him back for all he's done to us. But on the other part, there's something that just does not feel right. He knows that this is not the right thing to do. He knows that, that vengeance is not the thing that God has called him to pursue. And so he calls out to God. He says, I need you now in this moment. I need you. And, and he calls out and he asks God to do three things. The first thing he says is he says, set a guard. Set a guard, not, not over the cave, not over my life. Set a guard over my mouth. Set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You see, in the moment when, when vengeance is at hand and, and we, we have the opportunity to achieve this, this thing, to, to achieve the revenge, right? Um, sometimes it's something that we plan and plot and you know who you are, like you, you crazy little twisted ideas, you know, you, you've, you've got the plan. But most of the time, most of the time, it's not that at all. Most of the time, vengeance is sought in a moment, in an instant. In the blink of an eye, it's done because it happens with our words. Our words are the things that we use to seek vengeance. Someone says something that we don't like, and we take our words and we lash out 10 times harder than they lashed out against us. David knows this. It's so easy, it's so easy without 
thinking, without a thought, to use our words to crush and destroy. James says, James says, our tongue is like the rudder of a massive ship. It's so small, it's so tiny, but yet it wields the power. It steers and directs such a powerful thing. It's like an ember, a little ember that can set ablaze a mighty forest fire. It's so small, but yet can do so much damage. David knows this. He says, God, I need you to guard my mouth. Keep watch over my lips. Don't don't let me go there. Don't let me say those things. In an instant, in a moment, we can can absolutely crush our spouse. Our spouse says something that that we don't like, he or she, and, and in a moment, in an instant, we can lash out and just crush him with our words. At work, our coworker, our boss, we can, in a moment, and it's without thinking, we can, we can say things that we cannot take back, and it will not end well. Our kids, our kids can say something they shouldn't say or do something they shouldn't do, they're not listening, and I can absolutely rip them apart with my words and just leave them in emotional piles of wreck. For some of you in this room, this has happened to you. For many of us in this room, we have done this at some point in time. In fact, I'd say probably all of us in this room, we've done it. The second thing that David says is this. He says, do not let my heart incline to any evil to busy myself with wicked deeds. Don't let my heart go there, right? So Even if I don't speak it, even if I don't say it, my mind can wander. My heart, my emotions, my longings can go there. I long for revenge. The natural response of my broken soul is to long for my revenge. And he says, God, don't let my soul go there. Don't let my heart wander. In an instant, in a moment, I can spend my time. An hour or two can pass. And all I've done in that hour or two is think about how horrible this person is and what I want to do to get them back. Things I'm going to say to them next time they walk in the room. Things I'm going to do to them uh, when I have the opportunity. The rant that I'm going to post on Facebook. Some of you have been there. Don't let my heart wander. Don't let my mind go there. I need the Lord to guard my mouth, to guard my heart. And then the last thing he says is this. He says, in the company of men who work iniquity... And let me not eat of their delicacies. Here's what he's saying. He says, don't let me buy into the lie. David's in this cave and all of his boys are saying, get him. Get him now. Kill him now. Like right now. Like now's the time. Like we can be rid of all of this. David says, don't let me buy into the lie that in some way you perform vengeance is okay. The reality is every single person in this room, every single one of us has that person in our life that we know. We can call at any time of day, any time of the night. Right? Someone wrongs us. It could be our boss. It could be a spouse. It could be a friend. They wrong us in some way, shape, or form. We can pick up the phone. We can call that person, and they're going to have our back. Right? They are the sounding board for vengeance. Right? Pick up the phone. Like, you won't believe what they said, and you won't believe what they did. And the, their response is, I know. What are we going to do? You should say this, and you should do that, and we should go there. Right? You have that person in your life. No matter what you say, they're going to have your back. Right? They're going to encourage your vengeance. They're going to encourage your revenge. Maybe it's a person at work, right? Your boss comes in and just lights you up, and all you got to do is kind of give them the look, and they know water cooler, five minutes, all right? 
meet me in the bathroom. You know our spot. That's where we're going to be. All you got to do is give them a look, and they just know, right? And that's the person. They're going to have your back. They're gonna, it's, it's time. It's time to just like rip on that boss for an hour in the bathroom or wherever you go. I don't know where you go. I don't go to the bathroom. Maybe you do. You have that person in your life, and David says, he says, man, don't, Lord, don't let me buy into that lie that the people in my life sell. Don't let, don't let me buy into the fact that in some way, shape, or form, this is a delicacy, that this is, tastes good, that it's sweet, that this thing that is so rotten and so wicked, and this is in some way, shape, or form, sweet and delicious. Don't let me buy into that. And then he goes on, he says this, it's, 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 um, he says, let a righteous man strike me, it is kindness, let him rebuke me, it is oil for my head, let, me, let my head not refuse it. What he's saying is this, he says, he says, what I need, what I need, God, is someone good in my life who's going to point me in the right direction. Literally, a, a righteous man, a righteous woman who will, who will slap me upside the head and say, stop, let him strike me, let, let him wake me up. Let, let, let them tell me that this is not good, this is not right. I need somebody in my life that's going to say, no, d- listen, I know what they did was wrong. I know what they did wasn't right. I know it was unkind, but don't let your heart go there. Don't say those things. I need someone in my life that's going to point me in the right direction. It's good. It's, it's right. It's like oil on my head. It's this anointing that, that lifts me up and, and makes me more like Jesus. I need that person in my life. The reality is, though, well, I can say with certainty that we all have somebody in our lives that we can pick up the phone and they got our back no matter what, and they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna encourage our vengeance, they're going to listen to our rant, and, and they're going to feed that rant. Few of us in this room have the person that we can call or go to their house, and they're going to set us straight. They're going to say, man, that's not of the Lord. It's not good. It's not right. Don't pursue vengeance. Don't don't pursue revenge. Don't lash out with your words. Don't plot and plan. Don't don't speak that way. Few of us have that person in our life. We need to pursue that person. Find those people and draw near to them so that we might live in such a way that our soul actually becomes realigned and awakened. The next thing that David does is he he reminds himself of a deeper truth. In 6 and 7, he says this, when their judges are thrown over the cliff, and when he says judges, what he's talking about, uh, we'll find out later. So so Saul has people in his life that are saying, David's bad, David's wicked, you got to get David, kill David, he's not good for you. Those are the judges. These are the people who are weighing in. He says, when their judges are thrown over the cliff, and when they shall hear my words, for for they are pleasant, I've done nothing wrong. Done nothing wrong. As when one plows and breaks up the earth, so shall our bones be scattered at the mouth of Sheol. At the end of time, David says, when it's all said and done, the truth is, the deeper truth, the deeper truth is that this will all be exposed. And if I remain righteous and I remain kind and I do not seek vengeance, they will know in the end that I was not who they said I was. And when all is said and done, if I, if I remain righteous, if I pursue righteousness, God will have his way with them. God will be the one who finds vengeance. 
The author of Romans, um, Paul, writes in, um, in uh, Romans chapter 12, Paul writes this in Romans 12, verses 19 through 21. He says this, he says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals onto his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul says, listen, the response of the follower of Jesus when someone wrongs us is to not simply withhold vengeance. The response of the follower of Jesus when somebody when is unkind to us is not simply um, to withhold our response, but to respond in kindness. And he says that when this happens, when someone responds in kindness towards unkindness, when someone responds in love towards, towards someone who has mistreated them, something happens. Something happens in their soul. Something is awakened. Something is shaken within them. It's like heaping burning coals upon their heads. Something happens. It happens to Saul. In the cave that day, David uh, does draw his knife. He does approach Saul, and he cuts off a piece of Saul's garment. And Saul leaves the cave, never knowing that David was even there. And David pursues him. He runs out after him and says, Saul, me, David, I had you. I had you in my grasp. I could have killed you, but I didn't kill you. He, here is the garment. He, here is the, the piece of your cloak that I cut off. I could have had you, but I didn't. I didn't do it. David falls on his face and says, you are God's anointed. You are the king. I have never raised a hand against you. I've never done anything to you. And God will decide what to do with you. And God will decide what to do, what to do with me. And in that moment, Saul breaks down into tears. The biggest, strongest, toughest man in all of Israel weeps. He says, David, one day you will be king. I'm not fit to be king. You see, in that moment, there's something that happens that is not the natural response of a broken soul, but it is what our soul is meant to experience. What happens in that moment is grace. Saul experiences grace. David has every right to take his life, every human right to seek vengeance. But instead, he extends grace. And Saul, in that moment, is awoken to this place of, of just absolute being overcome with sorrow. In 1996, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, there was a KKK rally, Ku Klux Klan rally in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And on one side of the street, uh, lined up all of these um, Ku Klux Klan members, these uh, men in their, um, with their swastika tattoos and their um, uh, Confederate flags and, and their, their hoods, they're lined up. Uh, and then on the other side of the street are all these anti-KKK uh, uh, rally folks. And they, they begin to yell back and forth across the street at each other. 
They begin screaming and chanting and yelling, and the tension begins to build, and the, the police begin to, to kind of get on edge, and, and all of a sudden, one of the, one of the KK gay guys kind of shows up a little bit late to the party, and he finds himself on the wrong side of the road. There he is. You look at his face, and that is the face of a man who knows he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. Homie, that's a big guy, and he is scared, right? He also kind of looks like Mike Ditka. Um... And suddenly, he's like, I don't know how I got here, but this is bad. This is bad. This is bad. This is bad. And they begin to chase him down. And they actually catch him. They begin to beat him uh, with rods. They begin to get him, on, they get him on the ground. They begin to kick him and punch him and, and hit him. Um, and and it is, it is, it's over for this guy. Until a woman, 18 years old, Kaisha Thomas, steps in. And she fights off grown men with sticks, guys who are kicking and punching, this angry mob. She throws herself on top of this guy. And in that moment, in that instance, Aisha absorbs the blows. She takes the kicks and the punches. And she rescues his life. And in that moment, all of a sudden, you can, you can find these pictures online. Everybody in that crowd begins to pull everybody else back and pull everybody else off. And there is this overwhelming of the soul that happens in that moment. And grown men begin to realize their souls begin to come alive because grace has been extended in a place where grace was not deserved. The question is, is why? Why does, why does Kaisha do that? Why does David spare Saul's life? Why would you ever? Why would you ever? Why, why, would, why would anyone ever protect somebody like that? Unless, unless there was a moment in your life, and a moment in mine, where we were found guilty, where, where we were found the ones who were unkind, rebellious, wicked, evil, mean-spirited, where we had hurt others, we had rejected our God. And every ounce of the law, the law of Moses, the law of our God says, punishment is due to you, and that punishment is your life. And the God of the universe says, no, I will step in I will cover you. I will take the blows. I will take the kicks. I will take the shame. I will take, I will take the flogging. I will take the cross. I will take the nails. I will take, I will take the punishment for you. And I'll extend to you my righteousness. This is where our soul becomes awake. In this moment of grace. What we realize in that moment is that, that for those of us who are in Christ, those of us who, who know Jesus, there is no room for vengeance in that moment. There's no room for revenge when, when we receive so much grace. It doesn't matter what somebody's done to us. It, it does not matter. There is, there is, there's nothing great enough. We move to defend, we move to seek justice, we move to protect. 
But we do not move to, to seek vengeance and revenge. We do not seek to repay evil for evil. But rather, the follower of Jesus extends grace to the most evil of the most evil. We feed our enemies. We clothe our enemies. You see, Jesus didn't simply die on the cross just to take us into heaven someday. No, no, no. He died on the cross to teach us how to live now, to change the world around us now so that the world around the church might look in and say, I've never seen grace like that. I've never seen mercy like that. I've never seen forgiveness like that. I need that grace. I need that forgiveness. I, I need the ability to treat others that way, and I don't, I don't have it. need a savior, someone who would be gracious to me and rescue me. And so I, I don't know in your life right now who's been unkind to you, but my guess is there's somebody who's treated you roughly or harshly. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're the one. Maybe you're the one who's mistreated somebody in your life. Maybe this morning you need to text that person and confess, sorry for what I've done. Maybe you need to text the person who's mistreated you and say, it's okay. Is there anything I can do for you? Is there any, is there any way I can love you, help you, care for you? I know you've been harsh to me. but I got your back. I'm going to watch out for you. See, in the moments when, when our soul cries for vengeance, it is the brokenness of our soul. It's the brokenness of the world around us. It's, it's the brokenness of sin. And in that moment, we need God to protect our mouths, to protect our hearts, to protect us from buying into a lie. We need good people in our lives who, who lean in and correct us and rebuke us. And we need a high, high view of the gospel of Jesus that writes us, keeps us focused on his grace so that we might be a people who extend grace to others. Let me pray for us. Jesus, this morning, I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are people in this room who have been deeply, deeply scarred, wounded by others. We live in a world full of brokenness. We live in a world full of people who it's ugly, hurtful, harsh things. Some of us in this room have been, been that person. Would your grace overwhelm us this morning? Would we know that we are far more forgiven by you than we will ever forgive anyone in our lives? Might we be moved to love? Might we be moved to extend grace? Might the gospel free us from this, from this call to revenge? And might it move us to a call to extend grace? Praise you, Jesus. Amen.